I have the great privilege of talking to and learning from smart and creative and wildly interesting and inspirational people every day. And I want you to have that same experience. And so I decided to start interviewing them. And I want you to come along and listen and learn and enjoy with me. I'm your host, Phil Luce, and this is the Sample Bucket Podcast, where we learn all kinds of different things about people who own, operate, manage, and otherwise work in grain businesses. Those big things are things that I wouldn't have done on my own. I guess I would hope that Pete would say he wouldn't have done it on his own either, maybe, that I have given him, you know, support to do that. Well, I'd have done it. I might I have been successful doing it, but I'd still done it. <laughs> my guests on this episode are Pete and Donna Archer. The Archers run a farming business together as well as a grain elevator business that they've grown tremendously over the last several years and become very important and integral to their community. The Archers are a couple that clearly has deep respect for each other and a fantastic interest in helping their farmer customers and being part of a grain elevator community and generally making things better for the world around them. Uh, It's really an honor to have them on this podcast. I hope you Okay, I'm excited. Um, This is the first time that we've really had a celebrity on this podcast, and and, uh, and also we have Pete Archer, so that's exciting. Great. I don't know if that's as funny as I hoped it would be, but anyway, (laughs) here we go. Ah, We've got I'm concerned about your expectations, Phil. (laughs) Welcome to the club. (laughs) Uh, hey, we've got Pete and Donna Archer. This this is exciting. I, I've I've only had uh, individual guests up till now, but you guys are an amazing team, and I'm excited we could get you both on the same day. Uh, let, let's start with a little bit of geography, as far as just you guys, of course, are in Ontario, but but tell us more. Narrow down for us where in Ontario you are. We're about a hundred miles east of Toronto. Um, for your American listeners, um, we're we're about twenty miles north of Lake Ontario, and we're kind of centered over Lake Ontario. Yeah, well, I can. I'm sure you already know this, but our American listeners, in general, on average, are going to need a whole bunch of help with with Ontario geography. So, <laughs> this is north you north would... of the not, not the part not the part that goes over to New York. This is uh, this is the north of Lake Ontario, so as is Toronto, of course. Yeah, we'd be between uh, Toronto and Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd be a three-hour flight from Florida, not from Phil. Oh, easy then. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the only kind of geography we really need if you think about it. Um, <clears throat> when, if you ask somebody about agriculture in Canada in general uh, 20 years ago. They would have a lot of things to say about wheat and small grains, I think. And that, of course, that's still true. But uh, have you guys always been a corn and soybean growing area there, or is that relatively new? No, this uh, this uh, area here was a uh, was a mixed livestock uh, yeah. area here. Lots of uh, lots of pasture, cow, calf, uh, um, lots of farmers fed a few, uh, battened, uh, those calves and, uh, had a few hogs around, uh, that sort of thing. There was lots of dairy in this area. Uh, but, uh, we really, we really transitioned out of that, uh, in 2003 here, somebody found a, a stumbly cow out in Alberta that, uh, <laughs> orders 
that uh, for for the mad cow and uh, the uh, that just gutted the uh, the cattle industry in Canada and uh, and in, in our area was was uh, included in that we were really relying on a lot of those cattle towards uh, Pennsylvania Packers and uh, and uh, we lost the ability to move them out of there and it just gutted that cattle industry and so you know that and then uh, you know the hog uh, industry went through its own crisis sort of thing in uh, in 98 and again in 2008 and uh, that kind of overlapped with that uh, you know the timing of the ethanol boom and we got ethanol plants that got built in this area at the time and uh, that really uh, really gave us our segue to get into the grain business that uh, we used to, the old saying was to walk it all, walk the green all off the farm. And, uh, and that just doesn't happen around here anymore. So we uh, we're well situated here as well to uh, service the export market out the St. Lawrence river. And so that's kind of what we do is uh, trade uh, soybean markets towards the processor, but heavily uh, geared towards the export market in the fall and just making beans go away hand over fist and uh and that corn it, it tends to uh you know we put a lot of it on boats too but uh, we service a lot of ethanol and sweetener market uh you know throughout the whole year and that export market um is interesting to me at least it, it starts there at the lake and then runs up the saint lawrence seaway and kind of takes the the scenic route through a bunch of a bunch of canadian uh land and then ends up in the Atlantic and I guess goes to Europe eventually. Is that where that, that typically what happens? Yeah. Once you get all the way up that St. Lawrence, uh, the Europe is not that far away. It's just a short John across. And so, yeah, geographically we're, we're uh, well situated to, uh, to, to hit that market. Um, you know, the Chinese market uh, is just way too far away from us and uh, we couldn't worse located for that. And uh, so, yeah, we tend uh, tend to send a lot of it into, into uh, various, um, um, various European destinations. All right. Uh, Donna, did you grow up in agriculture? Um, I did. I grew up in Western Ontario mm-hmm. um, on a, a mixed beef and pork um, farm. And then I actually went to university because I wanted to do, I, well, I always wanted to be a teacher. As long as I can remember, that's the one thing I wanted to be. The one thing I did not want to do was farm. So I went to university to get away from that. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. Here we are. How persuasive I am, Phil. Yeah, Absolutely. And I remember uh, coming up to your guys' place a few years ago now, and it seemed like uh, most of the barns and several of the roads I passed had the name Archer on them, which makes me think uh, that that you guys, your family, Pete, has been around right there uh, for quite a long time. Yeah, uh, my my grandfather uh, immigrated here out of uh, um, out of England uh, when he was just a, a small lad, and uh, yeah, got here and um, eventually bought a farm in the oh, I'm gonna say in the early '40s, uh, right after the Depression, and uh, they when they were basically giving them away or begging you to take them, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, my uh my dad was a farmer and uh yeah i became a farmer eventually too so that's uh and uh we've got uh at least two boys uh that are going to carry on the tradition so 
Now, did you, uh, like Donna, did you have any, at some point in your younger days, did you think you wanted to get away from all that or, or you've been a farmer your whole life pretty much? No, I, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I had, um, I always liked the equipment and stuff and, uh, and the crops and stuff, but, uh, you know, I grew up in the eighties and the eighties was just a time in agriculture. You know, there was just, uh, just a lot of, uh, a lot of problems and you know seeing a lot of uh my dad's friends that went broke through that you know uh, process and it was just not a very positive time and you know a lot of us kids were just uh you know told you just you know find something else to do and there's, there's there's no point of being involved in this you know and so i guess we kind of listened to that and like the, the the it looked like a um you know a hard thing to argue with sort of thing at the time but uh Anyway, so I went off to do that and went and studied mechanical engineering for a while and uh, decided I didn't want to sit at a desk all the time, that I was more of a hands-on guy. And I, um, yeah, so I, I did that and, uh, you know, for a while and then uh, worked in a factory one winter and decided that wasn't for me. And anyways, I come home and started farming and we uh, started gathering up some equipment and got into the custom harvesting business. Uh and um yeah just uh, bit by bit was able to take on some rented land and then uh started buying some land after i met donna in uh 97 we got married and uh yeah we just kind of um you know did that and then we uh you know at that uh, that was the time we had a processing factory around here that went uh went into receivership and uh that put 10,000 acres of uh processing peas and sweet corn that used to be grown around here that uh, that kind of disappeared and uh, we um, yeah that uh, kind of when we started building a, our grain elevator in 98 uh, you know mostly for our own use and uh, we did that you know for about 10 years and and then uh, like I say there was there was so much grain that was uh, that was showing up around here um, you know that custom harvesting it kind of was down that we can only you know, do 10 or 15 acres a day because that's all you could get dumped at other elevators. And, and so, you know, I guess it was the fall of 2007 that I said, well, you know, to a bunch of our customers, you know, uh, we um, were, that we were harvesting for was that, you know, we were either going to, you know, add, put a bigger dryer in, add some more storage and start, you know, license the elevator and start bringing it all back here. Otherwise we were just going to, um, you know, give up on uh, on doing the custom harvesting, right? And uh, of course, when you give somebody the ultimatum like that, you never really know what they're going to tell you. You know, maybe they're just going to tell you to bugger off or whatever. But uh, um, you know, they were all you know very supportive of uh, you know the idea that we needed more elevator service with how much grain there was around. And so, uh, so that's how we started that. And uh, anyways, Donna was still teaching at that time. Uh, but um, anyways. Um, that fall of 2008 uh we uh um yeah it uh, harvest went very smoothly and we were done early and you know then our phone started to ring off the hook with people that wanted to bring us grain and uh so yeah we took a lot of grain in that fall after that uh after we were done harvesting ourselves and uh um when we moved into uh that next uh spring i guess our uh our youngest, our, we have four kids, our, our youngest was born and Donna went on maternity leave. And then uh, that was, uh, she proceeded to get my books caught up that were so far behind, it wasn't even funny. And uh, anyways, uh, I, yeah, I think she kind of got in over her head and uh, she's uh, she's uh, still trying to get caught up, I think. So. 
Actually, that's that that segues perfectly, Donna. I was going to ask you is it sounds like based on Pete's story that you accomplished your goal of becoming a teacher and and uh how long did you do that? Um I taught for 10 years, um, just taught at a local high school um, in, in a, you know, country setting. And what's, that's where a couple of our kids have gone and, um, it, you know, stick four maternity leaves in there um, in Canada, maternity, a maternity leave is a year. Oh, so wow. yeah. pr- probably six years of, of teaching there. Um, but there's still a lot of teaching with what we do here, because as you know, there's, um, in the, in the farming community, there seems to be a lot of help for farmers about this is the seed you should plant. This is the chemical program you should use. This is the fertilizer you should be applying, but there's not as much help out there, really hands-on help to say, this is how you should market your grain. And so there is still a lot of teaching that gets done around the elevator and, you know, some grain talks and whatnot that we do, but, but yeah, my education has not gone to waste, but um, yeah, I am back involved with the elevator and the farm, which is not where I thought I would be, but you know, life provides you with opportunities sometimes that you don't expect, but it works out. Yeah. I don't want to throw around the word entrapment, but let's, let's talk about this process of of uh, the farm girl who who determined to get <laughs> to get away from the farm and then ended right back up there again. Do, do you was it a question of that Pete just needed you to do that work and there was no one else available to do it? Were you reluctant or was it an easy decision at that point? Mm-hmm. What was the transition like from from teaching to maternity leave to working in the business? Um. It was just simply I had I had to make some very difficult choices mm-hmm. as far as, you know, I was, uh, you know, a wife and mom of four, which is obviously the most important. However, I was also a teacher where I'm responsible for other people's children, also very important. And then, of course, I was doing Pete's books, which also has to be done and done well. And it just became too much. And I decided I had to give something up. So I felt some obligation to keep Pete and the kids. And so I went <laughs> and I had, and I, I, gave, I gave up my teaching job um, to, you know, work at the elevator full time. And that gave me, you know, a little more flexibility with my schedule mm-hmm. that I could, you know, go supervise class trips or, you know, stay home when somebody's sick, that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, I think, uh, for, as from a relationship perspective, um, it has been wonderful because we get along extremely well, despite what some of you might see on Twitter. Um, we work very well. We have very different, um, interests and abilities and they complement each other very well. Um, and you know, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I would keep saying to Pete, what do you want me to do? And all he would say was, you have to do what makes you happy. And, you know, he would never weigh in one way or the other. So yeah, it's almost a weird feeling making such a big decision entirely on my own, but, um, yeah, there was a need for it to be done and it, I, I definitely made the right choice. As a as a husband of some experience myself, um, I think 
probably not pushing you any particular way. Well, first of all, obviously shows that he has your interests at heart. But then secondly, uh, there's nothing for you to yell at him about later. So that seems strategically important. Oh, there's, there's lots, Phil. They're just different things. <laughs> yeah, I should say not, not nothing for you to yell at him about. That's that's probably not even close to accurate. I, I will just uh, as a side note, you said you guys get along despite uh, despite what you might gather from Twitter. And, and I've thought and said to many people that your guys' public relationship uh, really wouldn't be possible to be expressed in the way that it is without a deep, deep respect for and appreciation for each other. I think that's the only, if it was any other thing, I, I, I just don't know that it'd be working out so well. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big admirer of, of the way you guys relate to each other for what that's worth. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think. Go ahead. I'm just going to say we get along very well. I think one of the keys for us is we just accept that we are different people. We're not going to agree on everything. And I mean, while we don't go out with the intention at the beginning of the day to get <laughs> under each other's skin, you know, it yeah. happens, but you know, we, we just accept that, you know, we're not going to agree on everything and you move on and you, you have to look at the big picture that, you know, of the, I guess the positives that we bring to each other personally and to our business and that far outweighs anything that we don't agree on. And, you know, if I knew the things say that Pete was saying on Twitter, I was saying, you know, if they, if we knew that each other felt like that, no, it wouldn't work. We know right. it's a joke. Yep. Um, you know, I, I never say to Pete, Hey, does this dress make my butt look big? He would probably preemptively <laughs> just tell me, <laughs> you know, just so you know. <laughs> sure. Just trying to be helpful. Be helpful you know? yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For, for the most part, Bill, I think uh, we just, uh, we've always been too busy. We didn't have time to fight. So we just uh, kind of carry on. She just says, uh, yeah, it uh, ignores me and carries on doing what she's doing. So that's, Sounds pretty smart all around. Well, backing up a little bit, how did you guys meet? I'll feel this one because I'm always afraid of what Pete might say. Um, okay. Basically, Phil, it, it was a blind date. I okay. was invited to um, a get-together. It was like a potluck at a friend of a friend's. I'd never been there before. Um, but once they met me, they're like, oh, we know this farmer, you've got to meet him. You guys would be perfect for each other. This is fate. It's destiny. The stars are all aligning. And sure enough, I met the farmer that night and I married him. It just wasn't the farmer that I was being set up on the date with. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, there was a snowstorm that night and the farmer that destiny was supposedly bringing me together with couldn't make it to the event um but because of this snowstorm pete who was one of those really cool saturday night stay at home and weld guys um the power <laughs> was knocked out so he decided to go out for the evening and i met him there and it probably would be your love at first sight kind of scenario and 26 7 i don't know how many so like a long time later here we are which one of you can't remember the anniversary, the date of it? Well, no, we I think both remember. Okay, it, it's, it's two days after my birthday. 
pretty easy oh, to remember. That's that's easy. And I think uh, stereotypically, I'm supposed to be the one who can't remember, but actually in my family, it's my wife who can't remember our anniversary. She, I mean, she can get in the ballpark of it. She knows the time of year is uh, more or less. But anyway. <laughs> Pete wanted to get married February 29th, so he'd only have to remember, you know, once every four years. <laughs> sure. Well, that's just strategy. I mean, you got to admire that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Always thinking. So what was the what was the time frame from that first uh, accidental blind date to to marriage? It was pretty fast. One year, year, one month, one day. Goodness, yeah, very fast. Well done. All right, I think we've talked about how you got into the grain business over time, and which is unsurprisingly the story of quite a lot, especially in Ontario, places that are a little newer to to row crop farming. Uh, Ontario and Pennsylvania and New York State and Wisconsin, to some extent, are places that all of a sudden the dynamic changed and there was a need for this service and and somebody stepped in to fill it, which is, a, I think if you go back far enough, that's how all grain businesses got started, I suppose. Uh, let's, uh, let's see here. You guys farm and you're in the grain business. Anything else? You can sell vinyl siding or? furniture and we we do some excavation work i guess uh we have a, a full-time guy that runs excavators for us all the time uh we do uh do a bunch of that but uh our grain business the core part of our grain business uh is also kind of complemented by a, a trucking business as well we've got uh nine trucks on the road now all the time uh um, just pulling grain out of here or, or off farm and direct ship and stuff all the time. And, uh, we, um, yeah, we have that on the go and, uh, trucks are always, uh, always something to, uh, keep, uh, keep everybody chasing those things all the time, both, both mechanically and, uh, you know, just the schedule and logistics, uh, all around that stuff is, uh, keeps life interesting. Hmm. I don't know we, if I'm slow or, or go ahead, Pete. Uh, we have, uh, we're uh, training a, a new fellow on our logistics. Uh, we had uh, uh, this Ukrainian couple that uh, joined us after the war started uh, last year. And uh, Anton has moved into our logistics role here. Uh, he ran an log international logistics company in Ukraine. And uh, he lost that when he uh, left and uh, came to Canada. So uh, we're moving him in there. He's uh, picked up uh, English and uh uh yeah pretty remarkable guy so he uh he's now uh in training here taking over our uh, logistics business and uh that's been kind of uh chaotic right uh, lately for him to uh move into as we uh you know position ourselves into the summer time frame and start to you know overlap wheat and corn movement here so yeah that, that was on my list um I had a short list of things here that I wanted to try to talk about with you guys. And, and let's, let's talk about that in a little more detail. You guys have, have been friends with this Ukrainian couple uh, since I guess April or I, I guess I don't know when they showed up, but just tell me, tell me the story of how you got to know those guys and where you met them and all that. Um, our connection with Ukraine actually started um quite a bit earlier than that. Okay. Um, our daughter goes to college in Ottawa and her roommate first year there was from Ukraine. And then she developed, you know, a number of friendships with other Ukrainian students. And then when the war broke out, um, Pete and I were talking about this, you know, Hey, what if that was our child? 
on the other side of the planet whom we couldn't help because we had lost our jobs. We weren't living in our homes anymore, you know, and, and we couldn't help, yeah. you know, we couldn't help her. We would want, um, you know, a responsible adult to maybe step in and help or oversee or, you know, just keep an eye on her. So we went down and had lunch with them one day to kind of get everybody's story. You know, what's your situation? At the same time, we had a number of customers who were saying to us, hey, we would really like to help, you know, people in Ukraine, but we don't know where to donate our money and know that the funds are going to someone who really needs the help. And that's when we came up with the idea that if we, um, we could pair those two things together. So we had a Zoom meeting with the girls and said, hey, if you guys would come down and do a presentation for our customers, you know, just tell us what was life like in Ukraine before you left? Why did you come to Canada? What do you think of Canada? What's really going on back home right now? And what are your hopes for the future. Um, you come and do that for our customers and our customers will do a fundraiser for you. So we had a bunch of events, you know, hamburgers, you know, pop to drink. Um, we had an auctioneer come in to auction off items that had been donated and raffles, that sort of thing. And within a couple of hours, our customers raised over $17,000 for four of our daughter's friends. Wow. So in, in the meantime, while we were advertising this event, um, a local woman sent me an email and said that she had a Ukrainian family who was living with her, and would she be able to bring, you know, her, the Ukrainian family that she knew down to meet our daughter's friends? And we said absolutely. So they came down and they got opened the door. You know, this the cutest little three-year-old you've ever seen in your entire life got out of the car. And he walked over and he hugged my leg. <laughs> and that was the start of this. We hired his mom that day. We weren't looking to hire anyone that day. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like a fit. And, you know, we were going to need help and she needed a job. And then um, that was around, the, you know, around this time of year, it was early July when we met, met um, Tanya and then it was thanks or the Canadian Thanksgiving weekend that Anton was finally able to get out of Ukraine, get his paperwork and come to Canada. So they were apart for seven months. And, you know, as a parent, you realize that a three-year-old changes a lot in seven months. Yes. And so they've been reunited, which was absolutely wonderful to be part of and see. I cannot tell you what an honor it has been for us to kind of witness their transition. Um, and then we told, um, we told him that we could hire Anton for the fall. You know, he can load some trucks, he can do whatever. We just wanted them to know that when he got to Canada, he had a job immediately. Um, so he worked in the yard, I don't know, for maybe a week. And then I needed some extra help in the office one day. And so I talked to our foreman. I said, can I steal Anton for the day? And once I saw his abilities in the office, yeah, I've never sent him back to the yard. He has stayed mm -hmm. here. Um, thankfully, he can do both, and he's very willing to do both, you know, work in the office or the yard. But um, that, that's how we met them. That's incredible. Was there a language barrier to start, or did they come with some English and then had to add to that, or how did that work? Um, they are both multilingual. I think mm -hmm. Tanya, Tanya speaks um, three languages 
quite comfortably. Anton speaks five. Um, they don't deem themselves to speak English well, but they would have no trouble going somewhere and, you know, not being able to communicate. We do have translator apps that we've downloaded on our phone that we do use the odd time, but less so than it used to be. We don't play charades nearly as much as we used to. Um, <laughs> and, and there's the odd time where there's a miscommunication that, that has been pretty funny. But, um, but no, it, it's a huge learning curve for them. But no, they can speak well enough to, um, to communicate. The, the challenge sometimes is just, you know, they'll ask, how do I word this email, you know, to someone to ask this? Or, you know, it's just... Um, kind of the art, not the science of what they're doing that we're touching mm, up. Sure. I, I, I feel um, every time I hear stories like this, just specifically with the language, I it's hard not to feel lazy as a North American who, like most North Americans, I, I speak one language and I could sort of stumble my way through Spanish enough to survive if I had to, but wouldn't wouldn't qualify as multilingual. But then you've run into all kinds of people that somehow have figured out how to speak three or five languages and this makes me feel like I'm wasting time somewhere but I'm not sure where well. it makes yeah. you really appreciate you know families who have kept speaking you know the yeah. the language that you know from whatever country they came from mm -hmm. um you know for Pete and I our families both come from English speaking backgrounds in Europe um but it, it gives you a huge appreciation for those who have continued to speak other languages in their home and has been, you know, very beneficial later. Yeah, absolutely. I met a guy in the Dominican uh, one time years ago, Phil, and uh, he um, was just a young guy there and uh, on uh, doing uh, uh, tours, right? And uh, he had taught himself, uh, I think, I think he had taught himself five or six languages uh by reading dictionaries and no kidding wow that he was able to to do that just reading dictionaries and taught himself uh all those different languages and like i say and you're somewhere like the dominican republic and you can go and uh you know, go on those tour uh buses and stuff and uh with all the europeans and canadians and everybody else that's there and cover all these different languages i it was pretty amazing and just give him a whole lot of uh a whole lot of a uh, of opportunity. Yeah, unbelievable. I'm now I feel worse than when I started. I guess I, <laughs> I guess I need to buy some dictionaries and get after it. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know if I'm just making this connection now or if I made a connection that doesn't exist. But you guys have a big meeting uh, every year for for your customers, and I feel like it's in March most of the time. And of course, it's known as as Amazing Pie Day, and and I. I just today thought, hmm, I wonder if that's related to March 14th at all. Is, is there anything there? Or did I just make that up? March no, 14th, um, by day, mathematically. That's, yes, that is, it's just a coincidence that we have it okay. at the same time. Um, although that has become the day that we start to advertise <laughs> the day. Yeah, makes sense. Big time. Um, but no, it just, um, when we first did our, and I'm not even sure how many years we've been having customer days, probably, I don't know, 15 or something like that. They started out fairly small. Um, one of the things I used to teach was food and nutrition. So I know a little bit about food safety and whatnot. 
and uh, we had discussed having our customer day catered. Um, we just always felt kind of bad, you know, hiring a caterer to come in at a slow time of year when we've got other employees laid off. So we just decided that we would do the food in-house. And, you know, that, that was great when we were small and you were feeding dozens of people. Um, but it just grew a little bit every year. And now, you know, we're feeding hundreds of people. Um, that's one thing that farmers do appreciate is good food. And so we just try to, um, we have a couple of um, employees on staff who do some barbecues, like for weddings and birthdays and anniversaries. So they barbecue the food. Um, I make the pies. I think the most I've ever had to make for this event was, um, I think, 70 or 80, mm. something like that. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of fun. Um, about the night before the event, you're thinking, yeah, I'm never doing this again. It's too much. <laughs> and then the next day things go well and you think, oh yeah, I'm totally doing this again. And uh, we actually got our um, son involved this past year, our youngest son who likes to cook. Um, ironically, um, his inspiration to make donuts came from our wheat a couple of years ago. We had a, oh a very poor falling number. And I had bought a book. It's actually like a cookbook, but it has explanations about why you need, you know, certain protein levels in flowers and, or sorry, in flour and what the falling number means and everything. And so as we were learning more about it to explain this to our customers, our son was reading this book and he started to make donuts. And so that was the agreement with him last year is that he could stay home from school if he made a hundred donuts for our customers. So he made a hundred fresh donuts that were warm when our customers could eat them. And uh, yeah, that, that has been uh, pretty cool, but no, the pie day thing just kind of grew out of nowhere. And it is just a coincidence that it happens to be, um, you know, after March 14th. Okay. Well, I'm telling everybody it's uh, it's on purpose. So <laughs> we, uh, we used to do that day in, uh, in June, uh, Phil. And yep. one of the things with it is in June, you know, there's lots of hanging still goes on around here and, yeah. and spraying that gets done at that time of year. Sometimes it's just stinking hot at that time of year and it's just not enjoyable to be out there. Um, and the other thing, one of the things we really promote with our customers is just, uh, selling seasonal rallies and mm -hmm. you know normally you get your best opportunity to mark forward contract a crop sometime in the spring time frame usually may june becomes your best opportunity when somebody thinks the crop's going to die uh, is your best opportunity to do that sometimes that happens because it's too wet in may sometimes it happens this year it was because it was too dry in june mm -hmm. and uh, and you got that opportunity. So what we did notice at times doing it in June, you know, quite often that was a good time to get them to sell something. But there was years that we missed the opportunity. You missed the opportunity in May. And so we decided let's back this thing all the way up. Let's get it before guys go to the field in uh, in April. We can, you know, usually we can start planting some corn around here late April. So let's move this thing back to, uh, you know, to the end of March. And uh, let's do it right then. That's kind of a lot of people have done their winter traveling or done. And you're just kind of at that pause before spring's work. We'll get them out 
uh, you know, get them thinking about, uh, you know, getting target orders in uh, before they go to the field and they're busy planting. Uh, because, yeah, quite often there's uh, if planting isn't going well in the Midwest. Uh, that's your opportunity to get something sold, you know, kind of on there's been lots of times on, we're really busy planting corn um, that we're filling those target orders left and right. So that was the thought process of that, more so than the 14th of March being uh, being the Pi Day. So, all right, I'm sticking to my story though, just so, just so you guys know. <laughs> uh, I, I've been impressed. Um, obviously, you put a lot of effort into it. I, I'll tell you a quick side story here, Donna. You mentioned that um, we made 70 or 80 pies, and then you say this is the year I'm going to quit, and but then it seems to be worth it. Uh, my my wife's brother's wife, so our sister-in-law. Uh, several years ago decided that she wanted to get into the cupcake making business it was uh, fancy you know these fancy decorated cupcakes real good gourmet cupcakes and she wanted to cater cupcakes for weddings and parties and whatever and just coincidentally as she was getting this off the ground my sister was about to get married and um so she my sister hired our sister-in-law to make i don't remember a couple hundred cupcakes i guess (laughs) and that was the beginning and end of, of her cupcake business. She, she learned what all had to go on to make 200 cupcakes, or I don't remember how many it was. It was a lot. And, uh, and that, was, that was the day she decided she was getting out of that business. Her entry and exit were on the same day almost. So I, I guess you have to have something more than just a, just a desire for pastry to, to keep you motivated to do that. But anyhow, one, one thing I've been really impressed uh, with you guys is the, the – uh, not only the, all the cooking, which was phenomenal. I've only been once, which is a pretty sad thing to say, but it was just an amazing spread, an amazing group of people, really good feeling about the whole thing. But it seemed like you put a lot of effort into getting different, pretty well-known, and not the well-known is the most important thing, but you, you, you guys assemble a, a, a strong panel of speakers and you're able to attract people uh, from really all over and, and a lot of really high profile people to come and talk at this thing. And what, what, what took you that direction? Do you think? Well, I've got, uh, I've got to know quite a few, uh, quite a few of these high profile folks from, uh, from, uh, from Twitter and uh, from going to commodity classic. And uh, yeah, I just uh, have met a, a lot of uh, really great folks from, uh, from those two things alone, I guess. And uh Anyways, a lot of them, when I get talking to them, you know, they all, they all express an interest in, in coming to Canada to, to come up here and, uh, and uh, to branch out and uh, to come up and see things. And uh, they've, a lot of them see Pi Day on Twitter and uh, are just would really like to come. Uh, I've actually had lots of them offer to come, uh, come up and uh, okay. I haven't been able to take them up on it yet. Uh, but uh, from a matter of, uh, you know, getting schedules uh, synced, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's uh, no, it, it is it is a great day. And uh, yeah, we've had uh, had lots of uh, great, uh, great folks uh, come up and, uh, and participate in. It. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just a kind of a thing that's it's taken on a uh, uh, kind of a life of its own. And uh, yeah, our customers all and uh, all enjoy it. And. Yeah, we have uh, we have folks from from all over Ontario that, uh, that that come out to it. So let's. I think another thing that we try to focus on, Phil, as yeah. well, is um, you know our customer day lasts a good chunk of the day, and our catchment area 
is fairly big. So we do have a number of people who drive for a significant amount of time to yep. get here. So we always want to make sure that we are making the day very worthwhile. We want this to be more than a, you know, chat with your neighbors and eat pie event. Yep. And so if we only get speakers, you know, locally, and we do have some great speakers that are local, but we try to provide our customers with an experience that they're not going to have elsewhere, because if we're just going to have the same speakers that other events have, there's not the same drawing capacity or the same reason for them to come to our event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Pete, your comment about meeting people on Twitter made me think about something. I didn't have it on my list, but I do, I did, I did want to talk about it with both of you guys because I think you represent ends of the spectrum that I'm somewhere in the middle of. Pete, you're very active on Twitter. And I think you're just a sociable guy all around, but you're, you're very active on Twitter. You even know how to change your name on there, which I'm not sure. I'm even if I wanted to, I don't know. I don't know how to do it, but anyway, I, I like to, I feel like I can keep up to some extent on current events just by watching your, your name change. So that, that's helpful to me, but you use it extensively and obviously some just goofing around, but you're also genuinely building relationships on there. And then Donna, you, you use it, I'd say sparingly. And, uh, and, and in fact, forget about changing your name. You don't even have, you just have like the little person icon. I don't have a profile. Your, your profile <laughs> picture. So I, I, I'd like to hear from both of you. Uh, on just the, the, Check my ego, I think. So, maybe so. I, I'd be interested to hear from both of you on the, on your perspective on the value or, or lack of value or however you see social media fitting into your personal and business life. Because I think it's a... People have strong opinions about social media. You know, they either, they either, uh, well, there's a spectrum of like and dislike, I think that's pretty clear. But then there's also a spectrum of, of this is just for fun or this is something I'm really using for some kind of benefit. So I'm, I'm curious. Uh, start with Donna. What, what's, your, what's your relationship with Twitter and social media in general? And do you see significant value there or, or not? I, I think there is absolutely value in a lot of social media. Um, depending on how you lose it, or sorry, not lose it, use it. Yeah. Um, if you're using it productively, yeah, it can be invaluable. I mean, we've met so many wonderful people mm. on Twitter. Um, there's a lot of information out there. We do um, buy a lot of grain, even on Twitter. You know, we, if we we're looking for some grain, Pete will send out a tweet and I don't think he's ever had that happen that he didn't have a response and get grain bought. Um, so I think just um, having people know who you are and having those connections, absolutely. There's, there's huge value. Um, it can also be a huge time waster if you're not careful that you could just spend the whole day just scrolling and looking at memes and, you know, and, and not getting anything productive done you know, accomplished in a day. Um, I think um, he definitely uses it for both. But yeah, I think you just have to watch, you know, what you're, you know, just make sure that you're keeping track of your time and, and getting other things um, done, not just goofing around. And I think as well, um, I think the direct instruction that, thing. <laughs> yes, that's direct instruction, Peter. Yes. Um, I, I think as well with social media, you know, you're standing in line at the grocery store, you can look at it for, you know, 30 seconds and move on. It's not like you're 
trying to read a manual or something. You know, it's mm-hmm. just very easy and very accessible. But yeah, it, there's definite value, but you have to control how you use it. I, I was waiting for you to say, I don't have as much time for that because I'm doing all the important work, but you, you either didn't think that, or you were just disciplined enough not to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't have to say it now, do I? (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for you, Donna. That's right. Yeah. Thanks, Phil. All right, P what about you? Obviously you're, we've already established you're an enthusiastic and productive user of social media. What, what, what value or, or, uh, or time suck or all of that. What, just what's your, what's your view on social media as a whole? I'm going to blame you for, uh, for, uh, me getting sucked into Twitter, uh, Phil, oh. because, uh, I, uh, I got introduced to Twitter in, uh, January of 2013 at a, uh, white commercial master management in, uh, in, uh, uh, Florida. So, um, that's when I kind of got introduced to it, set my account up in the airport when I had some free time at the airport on the way home and free Wi-Fi, uh, created an account and started using it a little bit. And then, it wasn't long after that, that, uh, you know, my morning ritual would I get up and, uh, you know, get the coffee going and uh, flip on the morning news and see what was happening on the news. Uh, it was the morning of the Boston Marathon, bo- uh, the bombing. Mm. And uh, so that morning, there was like nothing on the network news that morning. And when I got to the office and flipped my laptop open, and Twitter was just lit right up with what was going on. And there was, you know, uh, the police scanners uh, were being linked on there. And you could listen to this. You could see people posting pictures of the emergency response teams looking for this guy in a boat in, the, in somebody's backyard mm-hmm. and watching this whole thing go on. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it now. You know, this is what Twitter is important and this is why twitter is going to become a big thing is because twitter is right now and it, it's what it's what's happening it's not you know something that's you know went on a while ago and you know we had time to sort through this and show it to you tonight um it's right now and uh the um so that's you know i, I never turned the network news on again after that day um, I, I switched right over to Twitter. So I think I waste too much time on Twitter, uh, but I have definitely, um, you know, uh, replaced that time because I just never watch television anymore. I'm just not interested in it. Uh, I spend the time on Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter um, when I'm, you know, maybe loading a truck or something like that. I will pull out my phone and scroll it at that time. And uh, so I don't know, like I say, yeah, I'm a pretty sociable guy. Uh, I've got lots of great friends that I've met on there. Uh, this uh, I'll give a poke at Sean Schill here uh, just for some reason. I'm great friends, and we've met up through social media. Um, and I'm sure I would have crossed paths with Sean without social media. Uh, but uh, he's another guy that's a very busy guy that's a similar sort of deal. You know, he uh, pulls his phone out when he's, uh, you know, between loading sprayers or whatever. And, uh, and uh, you know, gives me a dig sort of thing. And, uh, so, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we're obviously the same sort of deal that, uh, well, you can't, uh, you can't be that mean to each other and, uh, you know, not be good about it sort of thing. Right. So. Anyhow, um, so yeah, I, yeah, it, uh, it's, uh, it's a great tool. Um, I met lots of great people. We do, I do a lot of business on Twitter. I buy a lot of grains from folks on Twitter. Um, that it's a, it's a great source of that. Uh, sometimes it's a good source of uh, trucks when we need logistics. Uh, you're, you're looking for trucks. 
Um, I've searched lot, sourced lots of trucks on there that way. Um, and uh, that, that's been a good fit. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, like I say, you got to balance the time. Um, but um, it, uh, for me, it's, it's been a great tool. Yeah, I think there's, at least from the outside looking in, uh, it, it appears to me that certain people have a genius for building real relationships on that platform. And you're one of them, I think. And Roger Gaddis that works for us is one of those uh, who I'm not sure what the mystery or the, I mean, the mystery is not right. I'm not sure what the secret is or if there is a secret or if you just if you're the right kind of person, it just happens naturally. But I'm really impressed. Um, I think the the um, the prevailing thought certainly a few years ago and probably still now for a lot of people and maybe I'm one of them is that you can't build real relationships that way. But I've just been proven wrong so many times that but maybe it can't exist only there but you certainly can start strong strong real genuine business relationships friendships everything else on that platform which is which is uh something i don't expect i'll ever be particularly good at but i i love to watch it happen so you have four kids and i've i've met maybe all four i've certainly met three of them i think uh couple of them are, in, are interested and involved, at least in the farming side of the business. What, how do you see that going? Our oldest son will be 23 this year. Um, he finished high school, went off to um, an agricultural college, got his diploma, um, you know, bought a farm, oh, wow. came back home, you know, lives with us. Well, sorry, I shouldn't even say lives with us, freeloads from us. <laughs> And uh, that's just just strategic thinking is all that is. He is his father's son. Yep, exactly. (laughs) But no, he, he has all, he, you know, from the time he was an infant, he has just been a little farmer Hmm. and, you know, he works at the elevator here with us. He's, you know, starting his own farming business. Um, I was so proud of him during COVID while so many people were staying home and doing nothing you know, he got his AZ license to drive truck. He got his, um, I think, exterminator's license, you know, to go out and spray. He used his time very wisely. Um, then we have a daughter who will be, or actually she is 21. She wants to make movies for Disney. And okay. art is her passion. Um, she also works at the elevator forest, you know, during summers and holidays, that sort of thing. This is not you know, where she wants to be, but it's probably gives her some perspective on some other things in life. Um, and then we have um, a soon to be 18 year old who will be here in September. And I'm assuming we'll come back and probably do something related to the business and farm as well. And then our youngest son, the donut maker, he's 15. Um, right now he wants to be a fireman and there's probably, you know, value in having someone like him around the elevator from time to time. But uh, <laughs> yeah. no, yeah. he's he's not, at this point, he's not interested in trading grain or anything. You know, he's still fairly young, but at this point, we don't see him pursuing a career here with us. There are some parents who operate a successful business and say, I would never want my children to have to do what I've done. And there are other people, others who are, really enthusiastic and, 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 uh, anticipatory about their kids coming back to the business. 
and, and it sounds to me just listening to you guys that you're not forcing anybody either way, but, but do you, uh, would it be your preference that you are, can pass this business on to your children someday? Yeah, I would think uh, that's uh, that's what our goal is at this point, that we seem to have a couple of them that are interested, that uh, I think that's probably uh, what's uh, what's likely going to happen. But again, it's uh, the same thing as the uh, same deal I had with Don. Uh, if you don't want to do it, there's no point in getting involved in it. you got to do what uh, what makes you happy and uh, what you uh, – I couldn't imagine uh, getting up. I, I love everything I get up and do uh, every morning, Phil, and uh, I couldn't imagine uh, getting up and saying, oh, geez, you know, i got to go to work again today, you know. I I couldn't – so I wouldn't want that for uh, for uh, my wife, my kids, or anybody else for that matter, so. Yeah, it's a it's a rare and precious thing to love what you do, and I don't think very many of us are so lucky. Maybe more than I think, but I that's also something I'm grateful for every minute of my life. It's not that every day at work is perfect. It's just that uh, I don't remember ever in my adult life waking up and thinking, "Oh no, I have to go do that all day again." Because it's it's what I love to do. It's a, that's a that's a gift. I'm happy to have it. Um, you guys are not. And maybe one of you more than the other, I'll let you elaborate on that, but you guys don't seem to be afraid at all to get into pickup or get in an airplane or uh, whatever means of conveyance is available and, and getting out there and getting together with people. Um, that's something that, again, maybe the social media thing is similar in this way. People either seem to like it or they don't, but I would say that it, it, traveling around and getting together with people is, is a big part of, of what you guys find valuable in life, it appears. Yeah, I, I love to get out and travel and see new things and, uh, yeah, do different things and experience different cultures and foods and uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, yep, love to do that. Uh, I guess uh, that uh, th that would maybe be the uh, the one imperfect thing about our jobs is that uh, we've yeah. got uh, uh, an endless amount of work to do, it seems, at times that uh, we don't have enough times to go and, and, and do those things, I guess, but uh Maybe if we got, uh, yeah, more kids here that uh, take on respons responsibilities as time goes on here, that we'll uh, free up the the time to uh, to do that. But uh, no, always appreciate the opportunity to get together with you folks at Master Management in January, uh, and uh, again at the summer meeting when we can make that fit. And uh, it, uh, yeah, that's uh, always uh, always a great bunch of people to get together with there and. Uh, the um yeah like i say a lot of like-minded thinkers and uh uh like uh pete rufinac says uh he says uh you know that his wife says that he only likes to get together with guys like me because i reinforce his opinions and like he and pete says yeah well why do you want to talk to some idiots right so uh, <laughs> one thing i appreciate about you and pete rufinac both is that i don't you never have to guess what you guys are thinking or, or what you think about something. <laughs> How about you, Donna? Do you enjoy the getting out there and traveling and all that sort of thing? Do you place as high of a priority on that as, as Pete seems to? Um, I do like to get out and travel. I would say not as much as Pete because I also enjoy, you know, staying home and being left alone. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, just, I yep. think, um, actually my daughter was going through my phone one day and she, she was counting like my phone calls and texts 
And I don't know, I think just on my own cell phone that day, I, you know, from like nine to five, I'd had, I think it was nearly 80 phone calls, you know, plus the office phone. And then she was going through counting up my texts. And actually the, um, the owner of one of our satellite locations, he had texted me 24 times that day. And she said like, why don't you just block them? <laughs> yeah, that would be good for business. But, um, you know, I think for me, I value more so the, the peace and quiet sometimes when you've got all the chaos during the day. I'm, I'm good with going home at the end of the day and just being quiet and not going out and being around other people. Although I do, you know, when I go out, yeah, I do enjoy talking to other people and meeting other people and learning new things. I think it just comes down to a, a difference in psychological makeup, but that is a, that's been somewhat of a relationship challenge for me in my years of marriages. I, I come to work and the job is really communicating with people all day long about a lot of different things. And, and as much as I enjoy it, it also isn't something you, as you say, you can't just block the phone calls. You have <laughs> the job is to answer the phone calls. So, uh, you know, I, yeah. especially early on, I would come home at the end of the day and she'd have a lot of things that she wanted to talk about. And I, I would, the last thing I wanted to do right then was have another conversation because I had plenty, but we've worked out a compromise over the years. I say, look, I'm gonna, when I go in the door, just give me 30 minutes. Just say nothing. <laughs> Let me just lay on the floor, pet the dog, just do nothing, say nothing for 30 minutes. And then we'll get at whatever you want to do. We'll get after it. And that's, that's worked out. Yeah pretty well for yeah, us. And I, and I think that's a big thing, um, whether it's a, a relationship or work, whatever you need to do what you need to do to take care of yourself. And I think, I think we're becoming um, much more aware of the need to do that. But mm. uh, you know, if, if you don't take care of Phil, Phil can't take care of anyone else. <laughs> one, one way that manifests for me is that I used to, you know, communication is easier now than it's ever been, but used to the phone calls were coming into this office on copper wires and you had to be near a physical phone to get things done. And so our culture around here was, was not to eat lunch, you know, eat lunch at your desk and kind of make it, and it worked out fine. There's nothing, nothing at all wrong with that. It was served us very well for a long time, but of course, communication is a lot more flexible now and, and we don't have to have that. And uh, sometimes my, I'll mention to my wife at the end of the day that I went out and had lunch with my favorite person to have lunch with which is me. You? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, when I'm on the road traveling, she's like, Oh, I can't, it's so sad. You have to eat dinner by yourself. I like, no, no, it's really not. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> that's exactly who I wanted to eat dinner with. It's like, that's, that's couldn't be any better. Anyhow, that's just personality stuff. Um, let's see here. If I missed anything, I think we've, we've covered most of what was on my list, but I do have uh, these, these rapid response questions that I like to finish these podcasts up with. Um, and I haven't done this with two people yet, so I, I, that'll, we'll have to kind of see how that goes, but I, I, I do want to hear from both of you on all these that they apply and it, it doesn't have to be a long answer. It can be, but it, but it doesn't have to be. So uh, we'll start this first one with, with Pete. I'm curious from, from the time you built your first bin till now, what's a big change in Ontario in the grain business that you've witnessed? A big change that we've seen, there's been lots of big changes in Ontario, I guess. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, one, one of the things from the beginning, uh, you know, we've really, uh, 
with wheat, uh, there's been some big changes with that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we really watched wheat acres drop off, you know, when we had a lot of quality problems with wheat and, um, you know, that, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of changed. We had a pretty negative opinion of wheat too, but our agronomics have changed on that. We seem to have better fungicides to keep quality better on it now. And, uh, you know, we've, uh, well, you folks teaching us how to basis trade wheat, we've found some opportunities to, to store wheat here. And so we've got, uh, we've got uh, dedicated space uh, for uh, storing wheat. And, uh, you know, uh, we don't uh, think anything of a holding a million bushels of wheat at times uh, coming out of harvest uh, and look for better opportunities to move it down the road. So, so that's one of the big changes uh, that we've really seen, uh, you know, happen. And, uh, it um yeah then uh, we seem to be flipping back and forth between uh, carry markets and inverse markets and uh you know we we had to learn how to trade uh, those two two things uh totally opposites and uh and um yeah that uh developed a uh you know had to develop a plan to uh to deal with both of them yep what about you donna um We've we've already discussed a number of the changes um, that we've seen in Ontario, and I mean this one definitely isn't isolated to Ontario, but the change in the markets, which has necessitated the uh, the way that we market grain, um, not just say as grain merchants, but as as farmers, mm-hmm. um, you know, grain used to fluctuate tens of cents in the year. And now that fluctuates, you know, tens of cents in a day per bushel. And so couple that with the fact that, you know, our farm sizes are getting bigger, our yields are getting higher, you know, we're growing more acres and there's significant fluctuation in the price that has changed the, or it should have changed the way that we're marketing grain. It is becoming more and more important all the time and uh, that is one of the that, yeah that's one of the big changes that we've had to make and we've been part of that change with our customers yeah good point the, the more bushels and the more dollar movement the the bigger the stakes are for sure all right sticking with you donna what, what's something that you were uh i have afraid of written here that's not really what i'm saying but what's a what's a business decision or a business event that you were concerned about in some way that turned out to be okay? Well, I'm married to Pete, so I guess I'm, (laughs) you know, willing to take some risks. (laughs) But um, probably, you know, for me is just, you know, learning to step outside my comfort zone with things. Um, Pete is definitely the more bold of the two of us. I'm more reserved um, in case you hadn't guessed, but you know, even just going ahead and building the initial elevator when we went commercial and then doing the big expansion and then building a second location and then taking on, you know, a satellite location, those big things Mm. are things that I wouldn't have done on my own, you know, and I'm, I guess I would hope that Pete would say he wouldn't have done it on his own either. Maybe that I have given him, you know, support to do that. Well, I'd have but done it. I might I not have been successful doing it, but I'd have still done it. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if I would say I was afraid of it, but 
um, making big, bold moves like that probably isn't me. That's something that was a, definitely a team approach, not a Donna approach. What I'm, I'm reading between the lines and I'm hearing that if you have one bold person and one smart person, you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> probably a fair assessment. All right. What about you, Pete? Anything that you, anything that was a big concern or fear of yours that turned out to be okay in retrospect? Yeah, you know what? Uh, yeah, I think we we have been fairly aggressive, Phil, and uh, um, but uh, you know, it, it, again, you know, coming back to the to the '80s thing, you know, I uh, I was told with a bunch of the stuff that I was doing when we were started to buy farms and started to build bins, and you know, the the neighborhood coffee shop talk was that I was going broke and that I was going to get there pretty quick, sort of thing, right? And, uh, anyways, uh, but you know, business all comes down to time. And I know full well there was a whole lot more smarter people in the in the grain business before I was. Um, I just had perfect timing to gump my way through this thing. Is what you know happened. I was in the right time at the right place, and uh, that uh, you know to grow this thing. And and so you know looking back at it, yeah, like I say, I wasn't so sure that you know those guys that those guys couldn't all be wrong, and that. Uh, that I wouldn't go broke, but anyways, um, yeah, we just, uh, we were in the right time, the right place and just worked out for us. Uh, low interest rates helped us, uh, you know, for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we are transitioning back out of those lower interest rates. Uh, fortunately we've been able to pay down a whole lot of debt and, you know, higher interest rates aren't really worrying us, you know, like it would have at one time. Absolutely. And so, like I say, that's just, uh, that's been all timing. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I say, I, I, I look back, I guess any regret sort of thing is, uh, that I wasn't more aggressive, you know, when we were building some of these bins, uh, we passed up farms, uh, you know, neighborhood farms that we didn't buy because we were building a bin that year and we didn't think we could do both now. And, uh, like I say, the, the boys, uh, you know, grind my gears now about it sort of thing. Like you didn't buy that farm for 500. What's wrong with you sort of thing, you know? Uh, uh, well, I said I wasn't 100% sure I wasn't going to go broke and uh, that, uh, you know, doing what I was doing that I didn't think I needed more, right? But uh, anyways, uh, yeah, hindsight helps a lot. So Something I think I've learned. I don't know if I've learned. I, I've learned it intellectually. I don't, I don't know if I've learned it uh, in my ability to pull the trigger or not, but I, I haven't talked to almost nobody who wishes they would have built less grain storage space or bought less farmland. Or real estate in general. I, I, obviously, those stories don't always end well, but overall, uh, I think that people tend to look back and wish they would have done more instead of less. So yeah, it's a lesson I'm, yeah. I'm trying to apply anyway in my own life. Um, all right, let's see here, <clears throat> Donna. What's something that you thought that you knew about the grain business when you guys were getting? It, it could be when you were starting or more recently. Something you thought you knew was true and were just completely wrong about. Is this just a trick to get me to admit I was wrong about something? Like, have, did you and Pete talk about this ahead of time? Um, um, you know, I probably for me, um, and I'll take this back to like, I grew up in a livestock farm, not a cash crop farm. Mm-hmm. And I was never given any kind of leadership role. Me as the, the farm kid, I was manual labor. And then, you know, I married this farmer and Pete ran the farm and made all the farming decisions while I had the off farm teaching job. 
And then when we, you know, started the elevator and I started to learn about the green business, I think the assumption I had made was that, you know, the farmers, and I'm going to stereotype here and say they're the men or the, the husbands, and that, that is primarily who we deal with, mm-hmm. although they have a lot of support, you know, with their wives, you know, sometimes in the background, sometimes in the foreground or whatever. But I think I believed wrongfully that the husbands knew more and knew how to better market their grain. And I think I felt that there was a fair bit of confidence in their ability to market grain. But when I really got to know our customers and see what was going on, no, um, I think the women really know um, as much or maybe more because they're quite often the ones doing the books and they have the actual numbers, you know, that cost of production in front of them. Um, I think they are just as capable of making the decisions. And I think we have some very, very confident grain marketers and some very successful grain marketers that we work with, um, with our farmers. And, um, but we do have a lot that just don't have um, as much confidence as I thought. And I think that was, that one was a surprise for me um, as I learned more and realized that, Hey, Maybe I'm not the dumbest one in the room at every meeting that I go to. You know, I think we all have uncertainties and we, we all we all need to learn. I, I would be, uh, just for what it's worth, I'd be absolutely shocked if you were the dumbest person in any room that you're ever in. But anyway, that's just me. But, you know, it's, it's easy. Oh, I was just no, going to say, so I think it's easy for anybody, though, you know, to go, you know, go to farm meetings sure. and just feel like everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not asking questions. They know this stuff. I'm the only one who doesn't know, mm-hmm. but that's not true. You know, it just takes someone with a lot of confidence, you know, to stick their hand up and ask a question that all of us want to know the answer to. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a huge one in any setting about anything. That's a, it, yeah. it takes confidence yeah. to admit you don't know something or to ask for help understanding yeah. something. And it's, I think exactly. about this a lot people uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure I'm one of them. I don't know if I think about it this way anymore very much, but people will say they'll, they'll demean their own intelligence about what they what they really mean is here's a subject I don't know about. Well, not knowing yeah. something doesn't make you stupid. Not knowing Absolutely. something, just means you haven't had the chance to learn that thing yet. And I, I'm, I feel like if I can provide any bigger value to society, it'll be helping people understand that not knowing something and being stupid are not the same thing at all. They're just not. Yeah. I, I like I like how you said it. It takes confidence to ask a question because you're admitting yeah. to everyone there that there's something you don't know, which again is perfectly fine. Nobody knows everything. <laughs> how about you, Pete? What's something you thought you knew about the grain business and turned out to be wrong about? No, never been wrong about anything, Bill. So, like, <laughs> well done. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, what? What? I would have to say uh, is about decision making and, you know, as our business has grown uh, that there is just a lot of decisions that need to be made and, you know, not on a daily basis. Like I'm talking like on a minutely basis around here and, you know, with, with freight and, 
you know, sales and pricings and everything else that's going on. And whether agronomists, we do, you know, we do a bunch of custom spraying and custom harvesting. And it's, uh, it's just an endless amount of stuff that's going on all the time sort of thing. And uh, so at one point, uh, I was of the opinion that I was the only guy that could make decisions. And uh, anyways, uh, that's the one thing that I guess I was wrong about. And, you know, have been come quite comfortable with that, that, you know, we got other people that we can uh, fall back on to let make decisions, uh, whether that's Tyler here in the yard or our lead hand guy or Boyd that runs our Trenton elevator for us. Uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, I think some of those like, guys, I've just kind of transitioned into not making decisions for those guys. And, uh, you know, for a while, I think they were like, uh, well, what do you want us to do sort of thing? I'm like, well you guys are smart, figured out, you know, and anyways, just, well, what if I make the wrong decision? Well, my guess is you're smart. You're going to learn from it. Then uh, you'll make the right decision next time sort of thing, you know, and uh, anyways, and not everybody's good with that uh, level of responsibility sort of thing. But mm -hmm. uh, I think that we have done a good job of surrounding ourselves with people that are good at, uh, at making decisions and taking responsibility. And, uh, the ones that weren't have kind of got weeded out along the way. And, uh, so yeah, anyways, I think we have the best team we've ever had. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm quite happy to let them make decisions. Uh, did they make the right decision every time? Uh, no. Um, but, uh, they, um, yeah, they keep making decisions and keep going forward. And, uh, if they screw up, they figure out how to fix it. So um, that's uh, that's been a big change for us. And uh, and like I say, I think uh, we've uh, really um, you know raised our kids that way too. You know mm -hmm. that they uh, that they've been uh, you know able to make decisions from a, you know a very young age, and uh, that um, they uh, yeah they've uh, they've been very good at making decisions, and uh, you know they've they've caused us very very few problems. So I I think. I told my wife when, when we were parents of a, I don't even know, three month old, six month old, that we, we need to focus on helping her be a problem solver because it looks to me like, and this is not exactly decision-making, but they go hand in hand, but it looks to me like the world is short on people who when presented with a problem can think about how to solve it and then take action to solve it. That's a, that's a skill that they don't teach in school. And I don't know if it comes naturally. I think it comes more naturally if you're given the opportunity. So I'm, I couldn't be more on board with you there. It's an amazing freedom to have people around. Well, first of all, I think we did a good job with our daughter. I think she knows how to solve problems pretty well. Uh, but it's, ama it's an amazing feeling to be part of a team where everyone can make decisions. And as you said, yeah. learn from them. And, and it's immensely freeing for you as the as the people at the top of the business chain to not have to make every decision. And it's also, a, it gives the people that are making those decisions a, a much higher level of psychological ownership of the work, which I think makes the right kind of person happier over time. And it's a, I just, I just wanted, I just kept wanting to shout amen as you were saying all that, but I held off. <laughs> until yeah, well, like, until then. Like with, with our kids and employees too, sort of thing, you know, that, uh, we're, uh, you know, it's our choice to let them make decisions sort of thing. And yeah. uh, we're not going to completely kill them for making the wrong decision. You know, yeah. if they, yeah. um, if you, uh, you keep making the wrong decisions and uh, then we're going to have a problem, but uh, yeah. you make the wrong decision and you learn from it and move on, uh, then uh, that's all good. Cause uh, um, truthfully, I made a few mistakes along the way. So <laughs> sometimes I tell my wife that I, I was mistaken once that was a horrible day. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you would imagine. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, sticking with Pete, maybe this is impossible to imagine, but maybe you've imagined it. What What would you be doing? Do you think if you weren't farming and running a grain business? That's uh, that's a, I'd probably go work for a white commercial. That's probably what I would do, and uh, go and do that maybe. But uh, maybe that's still too close to running a grain business. But uh, anyways, you guys traveling around and talking to all kinds of interesting people. I think that would be pretty cool. So maybe I'd go do that. But uh, I don't really know. You know what I? You know I, I guess I could see myself uh, running an excavation business. Uh, although we kind of do that too. Uh, um, you know, I could have seen myself being into, um, you know, buying and selling, uh, land and maybe doing development. I've got some friends that, uh, you know, build houses and do that kind of stuff. I think what they do is kind of cool. I think I could have been, uh, involved in that. Uh, you know, I think there's all kinds of, uh, things that I, you know, could have gone and done, but, uh, I, um, yeah, I don't know, uh, that, uh, I, I determined, uh, one winter back in about 93, I think it was when I worked in a factory that, uh, that, that wasn't for me. And I was going to figure out to avoid that. And, uh, and I'm a very hands-on guy too. I'm not a, not a desk guy. Uh, I'm very appreciative for what Donna does around here. And, uh, but, uh, me sitting at a desk and trying to enter stuff in spreadsheets, mm-hmm. it's not that I can't do it or couldn't do it, Bill. I'm just not very productive doing it. Uh, I feel like I'm probably just more productive scrolling Twitter than I am trying to work. <laughs> so I, so. Uh, yeah. I, I think you're in the, the exact right place and uh, I can't imagine you being anywhere else, but back to your initial comment, if, if you uh, ever decide that maybe whatever it's time for your kids to take over or whatever happens and then you want to come work for white commercial, we, I would be very interested in talking to you about that. Just as a side note. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be okay it'd be okay by me oh donna what about you we may have already answered this with the teaching thing but maybe not what, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing what you do well by the sounds of it probably doing ha- paperwork for like an excavation <laughs> business or a house building or real estate <laughs> sure. some it kind of land real estate company uh, for farmland. <laughs> yeah um and you know what so i um I would be open to lots of different things. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that have changed in classrooms that would make me um, less likely to want to return to that environment. But I, I, I do, I do still love the teaching and I do. um, That's part of the reason even we have like our, our, our girls club, you know, a group of, you know, females from our farming community who get together to learn about, grain and you know teaching them stuff and and sharing things i i really do i think feel that at the heart of me there is a teacher in there all the time but i would be very open to trying different things new things um one one thing that we cannot do say with the elevator maybe is move around much you know um you're fairly grounded and I, i mean i love our community i love the people who are here but I also hear of people, you know, who just pack up and move to a different country or, you know, move to a different area. I did that a couple of times, you know, when I was younger and going off to school and, you know, getting married, that kind of thing. Um, But no, I think I would be, I'm a much more brave person than I used to be that I, you know, I wouldn't be intimidated to just strike out and completely do something new. 
Yeah. Well, speaking about moving around, what's what's a, a place that you think everybody should go if they get the chance? One place. Like we're not inviting everybody over for dinner when we say this, or <laughs> um, <laughs> it's up to I, you. <laughs> I don't. Um, you know, um, I don't know if I have one specific place. Okay. Um, one trip that Pete and I did a few years ago, actually with my dad, was um, it was actually dad's dream to someday go and see where our ancestors came from. Okay. And my family comes from Ecclefech in Scotland and dad's whole life, he, he wanted to go and see the farm that our family came from. And in Scotland, the farm name stays with the farm. So if you sell it and move away, you don't get to take the name okay. the way you do over here. It stays with the dirt. So we flew over to Scotland with them and we saw where my great 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 grandparents farmed and that that was really cool not because um we really enjoyed our time in scotland and being an echo second but just seeing the spot and knowing hey you know this is the physical dirt that my ancestors made their living from that was pretty cool so i i think you know just exploring um, where you've come from, regardless of where that is, you know, maybe your family's lived in the same community for, you know, generations and generations, but just going back to your roots, I think that that was pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. Pete, what about you? I was going to say the exact same thing, Phil, uh, back to your roots and uh, wherever that, uh, wherever that leads you sort of thing. And uh, that's kind of one of our to-do list things was to, uh, to go and uh, to see England because that's where my grandfather came from uh, was on the uh, northeast uh, side of England and uh, yeah to get back there my mom and dad were back over there to meet we still have some family around there and uh, interestingly enough I've met one of those folks from Twitter and uh, is that right uh, anyway so yeah and we've got an invitation to go back and uh, see them and uh, we uh yeah that's uh something we need to do and i was on the cusp of doing it there a couple of years ago when before covid started and uh anyways now that that's over i maybe should move that higher up my priority list and uh and get that done here sooner than later so sounds like it all right <clears throat> last question and we'll stick with you Pete, for this one what what uh, if, if you had the opportunity to sit down across the table from 18 year old peter archer what advice would you have for him yeah. Well, yeah. I, again, I think uh, you know, uh, don't be afraid to uh, you know, to, to 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 try new things and 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 do things and uh, and um, and and be aggressive. I guess that's uh, um, like I say. My uh, my biggest regrets are uh, that I wasn't more aggressive and and uh, and took more risks. And uh, anyways, um, I wouldn't have believed that uh, you know back. Uh, you know, even talking to me 10 years ago, sort of thing. I, I thought I was taking plenty of risk, but, yep. uh, anyway, that's, uh, uh, what, uh, what I would have to say, I guess, uh, looking back to me, uh, I think I passed up opportunities that I shouldn't have passed up, but, uh, yep. anyways, um, interest rates would have changed then, uh, that, that might've yeah. that right? So. Yep. All right, Donna, but same overall, question. Overall, pretty happy with the direction that uh, that Don and I have taken. So, absolutely. 
Same question, Donna. If you were sitting across the table from your 18-year-old self, what advice would you give her? I I would say the same thing, Phil. And it's funny because actually Pete's downstairs. I'm upstairs because we're getting some echo mm-hmm. because we're both on our own phones talking to you. And I can't see him or communicate at all with him as, as we're doing this. But I was thinking the exact same thing. I would probably say, have confidence in yourself, you know, be proactive, like whatever you want to do, go after that, you know, dreams, you know, don't come at you, they need to be pursued. And um, I grew up in a home where we were very much reactive to things rather than, you know, take the bull by the horns and go after what you want. And I think, um, I think that's good advice really for everyone figure out what you really want to do or maybe if it's not the one thing you want to do figure out something that you really want to do and just go after it see where that takes you and continue on that path or go on a different path but you know just enjoy life and just go after whatever that thing is you know with all your all your might Boy, <clears throat> dreams don't come at you. They need to be pursued. I'll be printing up those bumper stickers next week. That's <laughs> well said. Well, guys, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. And I, I think we could go on for quite a while, but we, we'd probably better not for uh, for sake of our listeners. Maybe we've maybe we've done enough, but I, I, I really, I've considered an honor to know both of you. You've, you guys have been good for me personally and of course we're thrilled to have you as as customers of white commercial but uh, even without that i i would i would my life would be less if i hadn't met you so I'm, I'm glad to know you and it's been great so far well thank you for including us phil this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today okay we'll talk to you guys soon thanks a lot thanks okay, a lot phil take care phil bye yeah.